All right, church. Well, um, again, my name is Doug, one of your pastors, and I get the distinct privilege and great honor of being able to preach this morning from God's Word, and I will do so um, with preaching out of simply just one verse. So, one verse, Romans 15, 7, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn there. Just going to be preaching from one verse today, and if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, one verse, this is probably going to go pretty quickly. You'd be wrong, okay? Sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry. This verse, Romans 15, 7, my goodness, this is a a glorious verse. And in fact, my hope and prayer as I've been reflecting on Romans 15, 7 throughout the week is that this verse would be a culture-shaping, changing, directing verse for us as a people. And I do believe that that is precisely what we need right now, today, Romans 15, 7. So if you have your Bibles open, just simply read it real quick and then I'll pray and then we'll dive in. Romans 15, 7. This is what Romans 15, 7 says. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's read that one more time. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God of God. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you so much for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for um, the opportunity that we get to, as your people, gather around your word, consider your truth. Lord, and I pray that as you um, reveal your word to us this morning, your truth, Lord, I pray that you would take it. Lord, I ask that you would write it on our hearts and that you would use this word this morning to shape us into the very people that you have designed us to be. Lord, I pray for myself just right now as I teach this word, Lord, I pray that you'd help me to be faithful um, to, to your text, Lord, and um, Lord, I pray that I'd be clear as well. Lord, we love you. We, we, we thank you for your word, which is eternal and true, and, and we ask these things in your holy, precious name. Amen. Well, before we get to Romans fifteen seven, I want to just share a poem with you real quick. I know you might be like, what in the world? What is going on? A poem. Well, this poem is, is, is one of my favorite poems by one of my favorite poets. Um, his name is Wendell Berry. And I'm just going to share a couple of verses from this poem. The, the, the poem has got a really unique structure. It kind of divides into two different parts. And the first part, just a couple of lines from it, says, says this. Here's a couple of lines. Love the quick prophet, the annual raise. Hands in the air for that one. Vacation with pay. Want more of everything ready-made. Be afraid to know your neighbors and to die. The first half of the poem sounds a lot like those lines right there. And basically what the first half of the poem does, it describes for us a life that quite honestly is pretty familiar. It's pretty common. Vacation with pay. Who doesn't want that? The annual raise. It goes on to describe a life that makes sense in human categories. What I love about the poem is it continues to go and it shifts about halfway through. And it describes an alternate way of life. Here's a few lines that describe that. So friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone 
who does not deserve it. And the rest of the poem goes on and it describes, it contrasts the first half of the poem by giving us an alternate way of living. A way that actually does not make sense in human categories, right? A a way that is unfamiliar to the rest of the world. But what I love most about this poem is the way that ends. Precisely, exactly, the last two words, the final line of the poem are these. Two simple words. Practice resurrection. Practice resurrection. You see, what the poet is doing is saying that there are two sort of different ways that you can live life. There is one way that you can live that makes sense. That as we look at the neighbors around us, people throughout the world, throughout history, it fits into those categories. And there's another way of living that makes, that to the rest of this world is unfamiliar, uncommon. It's unusual. And that way of living looks like practicing the resurrection. Why practice the resurrection? You know, a couple weeks ago as we gathered together to celebrate Easter Sunday and we celebrated the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we did so recognizing that the resurrection was a supernatural event. It was, it was unexplainable. It is unexplainable in human categories. It was a supernatural event. In the same way, God now calls us as followers of Jesus to embrace resurrection life, resurrection living, to practice resurrection, to to live lives that are supernaturally transformed and quite unlike what the world around us would call normal. We are to do stuff that doesn't compute. Why? Because we are a resurrection people. We're resurrection people. See, the reality of the resurrection, as we talked about the last couple weeks, it provides hope and meaning that is future-oriented, right? It, it, it reminds us that the grave has been conquered, that death has been defeated. It gives us the ability to hope in a future that is far brighter than what our days could ever look like here and now. But the resurrection also provides for us significance and influence and energy to live right here and right now as well. So last week, Pastor Thomas reminded us specifically of where Jesus is now. What is he doing right now? And if you remember, maybe you weren't here, I'll tell you real quick. What he reminded us was that presently today, Jesus is reigning over the world, is directing the world, and is interceding for you and me at the right hand of the Father. That's where he is, and that's what he's up to. And this is good news. Jesus has not just left us to sort of stumble our way through this world, but rather, in fact, he tells his disciples before he goes that it's better that he leaves them and that they receive the Holy Spirit and that he is with the Father. And the truth is, our entire lives should reflect the reality of the resurrection. So for the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is pretty simple. We're going to take 
sort of look at our life at different slices. We're going to look at sort of different aspects of our life, different slices of our life, and consider what those slices of life should look like under the reign and rule of King Jesus. Because of where Jesus is right now, because of what Jesus is doing right now, how should it shape and inform our life? In a couple of different ways, a couple of different areas. Today, specifically, we're going to consider from Romans 15, 7, what does a resurrection community look like? What does a people, a resurrection people, look like as they live together in community? Generally, I like to give a big idea for the message. I like to summarize the text with sort of one simple and clear statement. And as I try to find a sort of big idea, a clever way to paraphrase and summarize Romans 15, 7, here's what I came up with. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's the big idea today. That's the big idea. We're going to look at it in three different parts. And if you look at the passage, it breaks down pretty easily into three different areas. We'll first look at the rule, the reason, and the result. The rule, the reason, and the result of resurrection community. So first up, the rule. Here's the rule. It's pretty simple. Just look at the text. It's right there. The rule is be a welcoming people. This is the command. This is the charge. This is what Paul is exhorting us to. It's what the Lord is calling us to this morning. Parkview Church, be a welcoming people. Look at what it says. Therefore... Welcome one another. In Romans 12, earlier in the book, I saw this a couple of months ago, the, the whole book of Romans really takes a turn. It pivots in chapter 12, verse 1. The, the whole section that will follow is really sort of governed by what we see in verse 1 of Romans 12. This simple phrase, I appeal to you, therefore, therefore, based on everything that has been established, Romans 1 through 11, therefore, I now appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. And then everything that flows after that verse is the direct result of what came before in verses one, chapters 1 through, through 11. In, in 1 through 11, we saw that salvation is possible for all who believe by grace through faith. Paul exhorts the recipients of his letter to be a people now in chapter 12 onward that are shaped by the, God's grace and God's kindness. So the very kindness and grace that you received in Christ now is to give shape and form to how you live your life. And this is the broader appeal that the whole second half, second section, major section of Romans is trying to address. Paul dedicates a significant chunk of this portion in Romans um, from 14 to 15, 13 to a specific relational issue that is happening within the Roman church. A, a relational problem that has surfaced is where this verse comes from. Church at Rome. That exists a little bit about this. Paul identifies specifically addressing that have emerged in the Roman harmony. Two different groups of people, two sort of camps, if you were, that have emerged. He, he refers to them as one camp is those who are weak in the faith. We see this in chapter 14, verse 1. He addresses the, those who are weak. We see it again in, in 15. He calls them the weak. 
And then the other group is those who are strong. Paul himself would put himself into this camp. You know, those who are strong. So we have the weak and we have the strong. Well, what are the issues that are separating and causing these two groups to divide one from another? Well, there's a couple of them he addresses. The first issue is that of food. Food is dividing these two people into the weak, into the strong. The strong would eat anything and see that they would have the freedom and liberty to do so. They would have no problem eating meat. They would eat anything. Meanwhile, the the weak would only eat vegetables and they would abstain from meat. and, And they would consider some food to be unclean. Another aspect that was causing them to divide into these groups was how they viewed the Jewish calendar. The the strong would see every day as alike. Every day, no day is greater than the other. While while the weak would consider one day more sacred than the other. So, So the two issues that are causing these two people to divide are on matters of food. What can I eat? What's okay for me to eat? And a matter of the calendar. What, what days are good and what days are sacred? As you consider these things, you're calling significant divisions in the church. And Paul calls them that this is a problem. These are, Paul is essentially saying, sort of secondary matters that you have now caused to create division within the church. And what's even more, as you read on, and you'll see this even if you were to read through 1513, you'll see that these matters are not just, not just are they sort of secondary matters, but they're also sort of related to culture and ethnicity. Because these points of it, uh, they divide along sort of Jewish Christian, the, the Jewish Christians would have been those who would have been the weak ones who were struggling to eat meat, didn't see that you could do that. And the Gentile Christians would have been the strong ones. So it's important to remember that, that as we consider these two groups that have sort of divided, they've divided over really their faith. Paul says it comes up here. But faith here doesn't mean necessarily faith in Christ, but rather the right implications of their faith, the right application of their faith to their life. What they're dividing over is answering the question, how does my belief impact my behavior and they're drawing different conclusions two different groups of people applying their belief to their life and drawing separate conclusions and his charge to them this is a problem he says first of all let's be clear you are dividing over secondary matters along cultural lines and Paul says this my people is a problem so what does he say then is the solution to this problem. Well, I've said it about four times already this morning. The solution to the problem is simple, but it is beautiful. The solution, Paul says, is welcome one another. Receive, some of your translations may say, accept one another or receive one another. I love the word welcome personally. I think it's a great word. I think it's the right word to use. I think when I hear the word accept, sometimes the words that come to mind are sort of like tolerate. Just kind of put up with each other. And that's not what he's saying here. It's not what he's saying at all. Literally translated, take to oneself. The problem with the church at Rome is that they were so easily dividing over issues that were secondary to the gospel. Secondary matters, food matters, 
days of the week. And these secondary matters that were causing division were eroding the unity that had been established, had been accomplished, had been achieved in Christ. And this is a significant problem. The church of Jesus Christ, he died for to unite, dividing over secondary matters. It's a good thing that doesn't happen today, right? Wrong. In fact, it's been quite telling to see how easy this happens just right here in the year 2020, hasn't it? It feels almost like we enjoy dividing over secondary matters and that we have forgotten what Jesus died on the cross to accomplish the unity, the, the, the establishment of one new man. Not the homeschool group and the public school group. Not the maskers and the unmaskers. Not the vaxxers and the non-vaxxers. Is that the term? Am I starting to get a little too close to home right now? Not those who think we should talk about social justice and those who think we shouldn't. Not those who think we should talk about race from behind the pulpit and those who think we shouldn't. He died to accomplish and to establish the unity of one new man. And Paul says, you as a result need to be in the business of welcoming one another. Welcome. Don't just put up with one another. Wrap your arms around one another. Embrace one another. Don't deprive yourself of the deep relational joy because of the surface level secondary issues that are dividing you. He doesn't necessarily say you should have the exact same opinion, but he does say welcome one another. It's important. So that's the rule. We, Parkview Church, this is now, going back to what I said at the beginning, if we can do this, we can welcome one another well, if we can be a welcoming people, we will be an exceptionally unique people in our day and age. That's the rule. What's the reason? Touched on it a little bit. Well, if you just keep reading in the verse, you'll see the reason. The reason we should be a welcoming people is because we have a welcoming Savior. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. The grounds, the motivation for our welcoming is the direct consequence of our welcoming Savior. Now, if you have any familiarity with the Bible or if you know much about Jesus, it, it's, it's hard to look. I mean, if you examine just his life, the interactions, the, the things that he said and the, the places that he went, the, the people that he spent his time with, this is a wonderful way of summarizing and describing Jesus' life. He was a welcoming person. We know that Jesus welcomed children into his presence. Others were saying, what are you doing? Jesus said, no, come on. Kingdom of God is for people just like this. Jesus welcomed the sick into his presence. Jesus didn't just welcome them. He sought them out, right? 
He, he welcomed a demon-possessed man. He, he welcomed those who were culturally different and socially marginalized. Jesus welcomed and he welcomed and he welcomed. In fact, he had a reputation that some didn't like because of this. In fact, they accused him of being a man who receives sinners and eats with them. That was his reputation. This was his life. Jesus gives us an amazing example. But here's the deal. Hopefully you know that to be true. That's actually not what Paul's arguing here. He, he's not saying you should welcome one another because you ought to imitate Jesus. Could he say that? Yes, he could. But that's not what he says. He's not rooting his argument in imitation. Rather, the grounds of his argument is in participation. It's not an imitation, it's in our participation. Imitation is good, but it's not enough. Notice Paul doesn't say, welcome one another like Christ for the glory of God. Could he say that? Yes, he could, but he doesn't. He says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. See, what Paul does he makes it personal. He makes it personal. What's even more helpful than studying the life of Christ, if you want to become, if, and here's the deal, let's just put all of our sort of cards on the table and let's just be honest with ourselves. We can all grow in this area. I can grow in this area. Every single one of us can grow in this area. And as we consider his life and we imitate it, yes, that can help us grow. But what can help us grow even more is we consider not necessarily how Jesus has welcomed others, but considering how Jesus has welcomed me. Yes, Jesus invites sinners. He sits and eats with sinners. But guess what? Jesus welcomes this sinner. And Paul is saying because of that, that is your motivation See, Jesus is not just the standard of our welcome. He's also the source. He's the energy of our welcome. Now in John 15, 5, uh, this wonderful sort of picture of what our relationship looks like, Jesus gives us the idea of sort of a vine being connected to branches. And he says here in 15, John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the, the, the picture, the image is of, a, of, a, of being connected, a branch to a vine, right? Our family moved recently and there were some apple trees on our land that had been planted there for a while. And as we went around with the previous owner, we looked at the different apple trees and he, he pointed out the types of apples that they were there. And there was a couple of trees we noticed that actually had different varieties of apples growing on the same tree. So what had happened previously is that there was somebody who went and grafted one variety, a unique variety, into an established tree. It was a simple thing. I mean, I've never done it, but 
I've heard it's pretty simple. Just take a small little twig. I think you have to have the right time of the year. Make a little notch into an established tree and then you connect that twig and then you secure it and then you protect it. And, you, and, and what happens is the, the root system then provides all of the energy and all of the nu- nutrients for that new twig and it begins to grow and voila, you have several varieties of apples growing on a tree. And that is precisely what Jesus does for us. He grafts us into himself. And so while it looks like what we are being asked to do is unrealistic, impossible, I can't do it on my own, the good news is that Jesus resources us, energizes us. He is the source for us so that what is unusual and unfamiliar to the world becomes commonplace among the resurrected people. Because Jesus doesn't just call us to do it, he resources us to do it as well. Now, it's, it's common for us to talk about accepting Christ. If you have been with Jesus, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you, you think of your story, oftentimes we can characterize our story by maybe talking about when we accepted Christ. I, I accepted Christ when I was 21 years old. And when we say that, what we mean is that we've received him into our lives, that we trust him for our salvation. Or we could also say that and sort of mean that we, we have accepted his claims, that, that Jesus now governs and directs our life. It's interesting here that, that Paul sees that Christian behavior and community is to be controlled not so much by our accepting Christ, but by Christ's accepting of us. In fact, he sees Christ accepting us as the key to how we get along with one another and instructive in how we ought to live life together. So as we consider, what does it look like to welcome one another, to, to live in community to, with one another? then we simply look and say, well, what did Jesus do for me? And what Jesus doesn't do, see, he doesn't keep us at a distance. He, he doesn't see us and think to himself, meh. That's not what Jesus does. Rather, he pursues us. Now, this is the wonderful, wonderful news about Jesus is that he, I mean, here's the deal. Only you really know what Jesus is welcoming, what Jesus is pursuing in you. Only you really know that. And the truth is, none of us here deserve it. What does it mean to be welcomed by Jesus? Maybe if you're here and you don't follow Jesus, or you wouldn't identify as a Christian, you might be asking, well, what does it look like to be welcomed by Jesus? We get a little hint. If you just, if you had your Bibles open, you could see in verse three, there's this, this verse, I'll just read it real quick. It says, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For Christ did not please himself. Jesus did not think about what is best for me, for him. He didn't think, what's best for, for me in this situation? He thought, What's best for us? And Jesus left the comfort of heaven, came to the slum of this earth, stepped onto our turf, became an ally to his enemies, and receives us into his presence 
welcoming us into his presence, welcoming us into an eternal relationship with God. And because of this, we receive entrance into his family. That's what it looks like for him to welcome us. And his family, the, the sinner, welcome. The tired is welcome. The broken, the hurting, the anxious. And his family, welcome. The powerless, the unworthy, the drifter. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What a family. What an unusual family. What a savior welcomes us into his open arms. So if, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your savior, if you have not been welcomed, if you've not just thrown yourself into his arms, my goodness, what are you waiting for? I mean, just a casual look at the world around us. We have something incredibly unique to offer the world. Why? Because we have a welcoming Savior. It's a beautiful thing. Finally, what's the result? The result is our welcoming community will bring praise to God. To God. Look at the last phrase there, for the glory of God. What's the result? The results are honestly endless and they are beautiful. Of people who are committed to welcoming those who, who are different from them into their presence. This is the picture of a beautiful community, a compelling community, or as Dr. King would call it, a beloved community. Of people welcomed into his glorious presence, not on their merit or because of what they bring to the table, but only because of his love. Those who have experienced this indiscriminate acceptance of Christ then in turn reflect his welcoming presence to those around them. Now, it's important to remember that acceptance of Jesus doesn't necessarily equal the approval of Jesus, all right? Those are two important distinctions, right? As we come into his family, we do so as drifters, as wanderers, as sinners, as unworthy, as powerless, as helpless. But Jesus welcomes us into his presence just as we are, and you know what he does to us? Transforms us into what he wants us to be. And he does the same thing with our community as we do that together as a people. Those who've experienced the indiscriminate acceptance of Christ and in turn reflect his welcoming presence with those around them. Guys, this is precisely what our world needs today. Because the truth is, it's not just churches that are dividing left and right, it's our entire nation is dividing all over the place before our eyes. And as we come together, the Bible tells us, Romans 15, 7 tells us, as we come together, even in light of those differences and welcome one another, God is glorified. God is exalted for the glory of God. This welcoming community exists for his glory. It is designed in such a way that it promotes him, not us. 
And, and if we think about ultimately, this is our, this is our purpose. The, the Westminster, Westminster Shorter Catechism asked the question, what is the chief end of man? And many of you may know the answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. As you read through the Bible, you will clearly see that this is what God has made us to do, to bring him glory. It is the design and the purpose of our individual lives, but it's also the design and the purpose of the church itself. As we come together as the people of God, we do so to bring glory to God. You know, if we think about how that looks, like say on a Sunday morning, there is a tremendous amount of effort that comes together that says, how do we plan a service? How do we arrange the chairs? How do we prepare a sermon? How do we coordinate the music? How do we just plan the service and arrange the whole thing so that it will promote God's glory on a Sunday morning? It's, it's what we do every week. But what Romans 15, 7 is saying is that it's not just about how do you prepare and arrange a service. It's about how you arrange your life. Does the exact same thing. When you follow Romans 15, 7, the way you arrange your life and fill your schedule this week and next week with people who you don't agree with, but you love. The Bible says God is glorified when you do that. This is beautiful. When incompatible people welcome one another in the same way that Jesus Christ welcomes us, God is glorified. Folks, these are unusual days that we live in. Very unusual, unusual days. There's a, I was able to connect this past week with a dear friend of mine, somebody who kind of served as a mentor for me over the years. Um, and uh, we got together and quite honestly, we just lamented. We lamented for some time as we just considered sort of the state of the evangelical church in our world today. And what we had thought maybe 10 years ago was a sort of coming together specifically like along racial lines, the churches coming together. We lamented as we've actually seen in the last five years, the church is actually getting further and further apart. And we just lamented about what is happening in our nation and how people are at each other's throats and just completely polarized. Just what in the world is going on? These are unusual days. And as a result, if we can figure out how to do Romans 15, 7, this will be an unbelievable opportunity to present something to the world that they desperately want and need. To get along. <laughs> you wouldn't think it'd be that hard, but it is. And Jesus is saying, welcome one another as I have welcomed you. And if you do that, you are presenting something to the world that they long for and haven't been able to figure out how to get. That's an amazing opportunity. You know, if you were just to go back and examine how the early church exploded, I believe many historians would say the reason it exploded so rapidly in the way that it did is because they figured this out. What did not characterize the early church and as it exploded across the ancient Near East, what didn't characterize it was massive revivals and massive events and, 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 and huge evangelism efforts. What did cause it to explode church historians say, is that one person made a relationship with another person and lit them on fire for Christ. It didn't happen. The explosion of the church in the early days didn't happen under massive revival tents. Do you know where it happened? Around dinner tables. That's where it happened. Just a group of misfit people coming together. They have no business 
relating to each other. Cultural differences, economic differences, gender differences. But they are coming together because Jesus has welcomed them. I don't know that his strategy, honestly, is too different today. Especially when I think of our community. This, I think, is precisely what we ought to do. So, what should you do about it? First of all, if you're here today and you do not follow Jesus, if you don't identify as a Christian, my goodness, throw yourself into the open arms of Jesus. Just receive his embrace. You don't have to clean up before you do that. You don't have to get some things right in your life before you do that. Simply surrender. And Jesus will take you from there. Secondly, let's consider our relationships here at Parkview specifically. If you attend Parkview, if you're a member here, if you call Parkview Church your home, let's consider for a moment how do you relate to others at this church? Martin Luther is famous for saying that there are three conversions in a person's life that a person needs to experience. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. Kind of the idea that you can really see what is going on in the head and the heart based on how they spend their money, right? Well, I think if he were to sort of peer into our Western world today, he might add a fourth one. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But if he did, I would suggest probably the fourth one that he would say is this conversion of the head, conversion of the heart, conversion of the pocketbook. But I think he would probably also say there needs to be a conversion of the home. Specifically, do you have one another in your home? Just step back for a second and just think about the next two weeks that maybe you have planned. Some of us maybe are better planners than others. And the simple question I want to ask you is, as you've made your plans for the next, let's just say the week, does it involve anybody else from this church sitting around your dinner table? Go go to the next week. How about the next week? Does the next week involve that at all? My encouragement, my exhortation to you this morning is if you want to practice Romans 15, 7, when you walk out these doors... If you are married, get together with your spouse. If you're here with a roommate, get together with your roommate and you look at the next two weeks and you say, which person from our church is coming into our home? And I would even encourage you to think about people that maybe you would not normally, the safe thing to just say, oh yeah, my community group. Folks, this is a place on a Sunday morning where we ought to be building relationships with one another. We ought to be welcoming one another every week And I would encourage you to do so with people who maybe have different opinions than you, who maybe come from different places than you do. Have them into your home. Thirdly, I want to, this is something that we can all do right now, okay? I want you in the next 24 hours, if you haven't already, commit Romans 15, 7 to your memory. Memorize this verse. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Commit that verse to memory. And then what I want you to do is not just take Romans 15, 7 and bury it in your heart. Please do that. But also wear it on your face. Wear it on your face. Can you do that? It's a little harder. It is, I'll just be honest. And it's not always easy. I mean, if you look at how Jesus welcomed us, check it out, it hurt him a lot. He suffered. It wasn't easy. 
So what I'm not asking you to do is to just be, hey, this is just gonna be a total joy ride. It's gonna be easy sailing, smooth sailing. You got it. Uh-uh, it's gonna take pain. Here, let me just be honest. Yesterday, in the yard, beautiful day, unexpected, didn't see it coming, took advantage of it. My yard's a catastrophe. Safe place, right? Okay. So I was out there working, and there's some neighbors that I've seen. We've moved recently. I see them all the time. And they're just, they're not, I try to be really welcoming. I try to smile. I try to say hi as much as I possibly can. Probably of the last 10 times, I have initiated some sort of interaction that has been completely <laughs> either unnoticed or unreceived. Not welcome, okay? Failure. Yesterday did it with my kids. Embarrassed, you bet, okay? But guess what? You just gotta keep doing it. Wear Romans 15 on your face when you're walking your dog. Wear Romans 15, seven on your face when you're walking into the grocery store. Wear Romans 15, seven on your face tomorrow when you are walking into the office. Wear Romans 15, 7 on your face tomorrow morning when you wake up and get on the bus and go to school. Wear Romans 15, not in a superficial, everything's okay kind of way, but in a, I love you, I would love to get to know you kind of way. Wear Romans 15, 7 on your face. Folks, as a resurrection people, that may sound for some of us like a bit of a stretch, but as a resurrection people, we are to do things that don't compute. Don't make sense. But Jesus has given us precisely what we need to do them. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word this morning. And uh, I just confess there are so many times throughout the week where I am not trying to welcome anybody. Lord, I just confess that to you. I ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would help me, help me to, not just me, but also lead my family to be a welcoming people. God, there is so much pain, there is so much hurt, there's so much brokenness in this world. And one of the best things that we can do, that anybody in this room can do, is treat people like they matter. Because they do. Lord, you've shown us that we matter to you. You have shown us what you will do to, to demonstrate your love to us. Father, help us to be a welcoming people every day of the week. Resource us, give us energy, Lord, to do it. Help us enter into one another's mess. We need your help. We ask these things.